And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Wes G. Roberts, author and college professor who had hints of alien visitations dating back to his teens, but because of a consciously recalled experience in the 1980s, he became convinced that his experience could not be explained away by conventional theories. Wes, thank you so much for coming on the show today, and welcome. Jeffrey, thank you very much. Happy to be here. All right, West, if we don't mind, can we start with how you went from being a regular guy and then suddenly you started remembering this stuff and your reality started to change? Yeah, uh, absolutely, for sure. Um, I, I'll just give a brief, brief preface. When I was in my teens and so forth, I began to investigate all things that go bump in the night, basically. Uh, including to a lesser extent uh, UFOs and alien intelligence. But, you know, parapsychology, spiritualism, magic, uh, you name it. I was uh, looking at all sorts of different routes. And that's just that's part of my life imprint. Um, then in the 80s, uh, I had this experience overnight that I woke up from, and it was clearly, uh, clearly different um, because I had um, – I'd looked into dreams, studied dreaming, uh, dream recall, lucid dreaming, imagination, out-of-the-body experiences. Um, it was none of those things as far as I could tell. Uh, you know, did a little reverse engineering and said, well, if it's not any of those things, it might actually be real. Uh, so this experience happened in the 80s, and for almost 20 years, I just would not look into it. Um, mm -hmm. In, in the interim of the 20 years, I um, actually joined uh, MUFON for a time, uh, and I've joined again recently, but I joined MUFON for a time, and I met some abductees. And that, I was fascinated, but I, I was, uh, how would I say this, frightened. Uh, the energy some of them gave, gave off really made me nervous, quite honestly. Mm. This is in the 90s, I guess. And oh. so I never thought this this was me. I just kept dismissing it and pushing it in the background until finally uh, my sleep was dramatically affected. Um, my performance somewhat was affected day to day uh, in teaching. And I thought, I, I've got to get to the bottom of this uh, and, and see a hypnotherapist. And uh, interestingly, when I first went to her, this experience did not come up. Rather, all sorts of other experiences began to come up. So the one in the 80s, I just want to be real clear, was consciously recalled, fully consciously recalled. If you don't mind, can you tell us about some of those experiences yes, in the 80s? Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, so as far as I can see in my life, um, alien beings uh, do their experiences, put us through experiences in several stages normally. And it's almost like setting a stage for a Hollywood set, um, you know, so act one. So in act one, I was just at the airport in the middle of the night, um, not alone necessarily because there was something nearby, but I never really got to see it. And I was just looking at planes taking off in the night sky. It, it seemed fairly normal, except I shouldn't have been at the airport at like three o'clock in the morning. But so that was that was kind of act one. 
Act two was when one of those planes uh, taking off exploded. And I could see the fire and flames coming out of it. And so that's where I think, and we can talk about this later, where I think the aliens are most interested uh, in me or in others, it's emotions. Uh, so I saw the plane go into flames. Uh, a moment later, it blacked out and then I uh, came to on the plane. So I spent 30 seconds or so on the jet, uh, locked in a, in a washroom at the rear. Uh, I could hear the turbines. I could hear the hiss uh, of recirculated air. And I knew we were going down. And so the plane crashed. I didn't feel anything. Uh, the plane crashed. Um, I blacked out. So that, that was act two. Uh, in Act 3, as my eyes became accustomed to some light, um, there's a large set of double doors that I was being told mentally uh, to walk through. And, and then I walked into the most unremarkable or maybe remarkable apartment I've ever seen because it looked like it had never been lived in. Like it, <laughs> it looked like they built it for me just before I stepped onto that stage. And so in Act 3, being at this apartment, I got to explore the apartment extensively. I got to look at photo albums. I got to walk back and forth. Nothing changed. The counters didn't change. I didn't change. The bed didn't change. Um, so I went back and forth, back and forth. I looked through the photo albums of pictures of somebody that was supposed to be me, didn't look like me, but there I was, or it was, with its family. Uh, which also wasn't my family. And there is a rotary black dial phone on the counter, which they plucked from my brain somewhere. And eventually when I started to get very confused at walking around the apartment, uh, I was having an identity meltdown. Um, I was escorted out. So act four was being walked across a field that seemed to me like a tarmac. Um, and I had one uh, brown-skinned being on each side of me. And then I looked down to my right, and there was at least 50 other people being escorted at the same time by these brown-skinned beings. In Act uh, 4 or 5, depending on the way you look at it, the last act, um, I went through a turnstile. I thought I was going to be processed at customs. So I went through a turnstile and got into an elevator. And the elevator was shaped like a, uh, a tube uh, with a cone on the top and a cone on the bottom. It could only fit one person. I was it. Um, the door swished closed, and I felt intense heat, motion, and lights, very bright lights on top and below me, blindingly bright lights. Um, when the door eventually opened, Jeff, um, I was back at the airport being greeted by my family. So this was basically like a dream that was hyper real that mm -hmm. had never faded from your memory and just kind of, I don't know if the, this is the right word, but kind of plagued you over the years where at some point you decided, hmm, maybe I'll go get hypnotized and see if there's something to this. I think the plague word's a good one. Um, I couldn't, couldn't put it out of my mind. 
And actually, hypnosis never really discovered a lot more about this incident, but it opened up a whole, uh, a whole set of other worlds. Would you say that this dream was just as real as you and I sitting here today? I would say the airplane piece and the apartment piece and even going into this elevator device was very, very real. I could touch things. Um, I had continuity. It was cohesive. So in those ways, I would say, yeah, very real. I don't know that it was a physical abduction. Um, I cannot tell. Uh, but uh, but it's certainly everything was retained. And I just wrote it down in the morning. And then since that point, I rewrote it 20 times, just seeing if I could bring anything else to mind. Do you recall what the brown beings look like? You know, I'm asked that question um, uh, infrequently, and it's... <laughs> Pictures, uh, picture a brown-skinned being. I, I can't say if they were male or female. I don't know what their gender was, if there was a gender. And from the waist up, they were naked. And from the waist up, their arms, their, their torso, their faces, everything looked like it had, was an incomplete work. Like, they had, like it had been done in I don't, uh, something like clay, um, but it was not finished. So while they had arms and fingers and a face, it, none of it seemed complete. It, it's like they were works in progress, like not, not done. All right, well, let's move forward to your hypnotherapy sessions. So 20 years went by, and it was a key conversation I had with a good friend at the time. Uh, I was going to Portugal. She was going to Portugal. And I said, would you meet with me while you're there so we can spend the day, and I'll tell you what I've been through. And I trusted her. So we talked for hours and hours. And at the end, she said, if it were me, I'd want to investigate it further. And then it took another year after that trip. And I, I hooked up with Leslie Mitchell Clark, who was, I believe, at around that time, just starting her practice. And I may have been her first client, this kind of client, let me put it that way, because she does all kinds of hypnotherapy. And... Um, the first sort of test I had to pass was the assessment. So you may have had guests before that have talked about how this works, right? Uh, you've got to be assessed. You know, um, uh, a legitimate hypnotherapist wants to know if you're stable um, or if you're not stable, if you have some kind of an illness, uh, if you're, you know, perhaps making this up. They don't make judgments about the last part, but they just want to know if, uh, if, if things look legit, if they can proceed with you safely. And so I went to her for the first session, hoping that this would come up, but it did not. Um, the first couple of sessions uh, established the fact, if you can accept hypnosis as establishing facts, and I do, it established the fact that I've had experiences since I was a little boy. And I had no concept of that, Jeff, whatever. I thought, my experiences started in the 80s. That's the way it goes. Of course, I've since learned that's almost never the way it goes. Can you tell us about some of those experiences that you had? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I can tell you about a, 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 an interesting one because this particular being, who I refer to sometimes as a Nordic or a tall white being, I don't know for a fact. Um, because she appears in many different ways. Um, but she appears to be a, a Nordic or a tall white. 
um, because normally if I see her, see her in a vision or see her under hypnosis, um, she's always about eight feet tall and, and straight up and down as far as people would be concerned, no figure, uh, but I suspect she's feminine. That's all I can tell you. So I opened my eyes in an experience when I was a little boy, I'd say six or seven, and I was at a farmhouse and uh, this little girl appeared uh, in the farmhouse with me and just she looked to be six or seven but not quite like a little girl a couple of odd things about her she had little spindly hands and she was barefoot and uh, a, a little bit odd in appearance not odd enough to say that she wouldn't walk among us but a little odd in appearance and I was mentally being told um, that I was to show her around the farmhouse. And, and the thing is, Jeff, this was unexceptional to me um, because I was to say, this is a table and this is a fridge and this is what's inside the fridge. And I'd take her little spindly hand and I would put it on a surface so that she could touch it. And these were things unknown to her. These are things, pardon me, she had not experienced. And at one point in the experience, I, I asked mentally, is this real? Because I've done this a number of times. And, and this sometimes ticks them off to no end because they want me to play and I don't want to play anymore. So I asked if it was real and I said, yes, it's real. You're in a real farmhouse. The people that own the farmhouse are away from the, the house at the moment. So the way it ended up is, because um, I was learning a little bit through her perceptions as I held her hand, what we would see in the fridge is a jar of pickles. She would just see as a green blob without being able to identify it. The last part of the experience before it faded was we were to go up a set of stairs, but she didn't know how to go up a set of stairs. And, and that's kind of where that ended. So that was literally my first or second hypnosis experience. And that's when I first learned about this being who's been in my life ever since. Do you think that she's some type of human alien hybrid? I don't. Um, and it's just an impression. Um, we did some hypnosis sessions where we tried a little real time channeling. We called it might not be the official definition of channeling and communicated with her. As far as we can tell, we were successful. Uh, we were in touch with her on half a dozen, maybe more sessions. And she was once in physical form, according to her. Um, there was a planet involved, according to her. They had a lifestyle. She had a mate. Um, uh, but I think she is, I think it's wrong to use the term totally alien, because I feel I'm alien. At least I'm very alien to her. Uh, and, and I always feel like I, you know, I'm not fully from here. Yeah, I was born here, but I've always felt no, no, no. That's not my ultimate origin, and, and I think that's true for a lot of us. Uh, so I think she was, if you can say, pure alien, a pure alien. So she's existing, I guess you would say, either in the fourth or fifth dimension, and you just have contact with her in your dreams. Partly in my dreams and partly if I just reach out to her. But this is where it gets nebulous. And this is where people might level criticism at me. And I don't, I don't blame them. I get it. Uh, 
how do I know, right? How do I know I'm communicating with an alien being? Well, I had every indication under hypnosis that this was real. Uh, and in hypnosis, we access our memories. And then pushing it further to real-time communication, some peculiar stuff uh, happened in the, the treatment room uh, that I was in, uh, according to Leslie, who was observing it, and also according to a couple of other indicators, heat, um, and also um, uh, blood pressure, which we checked before and after one of the sessions. So a couple of weird things happened during these real-time communications. So to, to the best of my knowledge, she is a real being in touch with me. I have questioned her under hypnosis um, about, well, why can't, you know, this sounds silly, right? Why can't you just sit on the couch over there and let me have a chat with you? <laughs> it's like, that's not the way it works, according to her. According to her, it takes a great amount of work or manipulation of my conditions, my environment, the human condition, uh, the human environment. It takes work on their part or her part to be able to communicate with me live. And for our part, Jeff, um, I've had criticism leveled at me by her that I'm just not very good at this. You know, it sounds weird. You're not good at this, Wes. You've got to do better at things like bilocation or literally, that's in the transcripts, bilocation, or you've got to do better at sensing when I'm around because she said, I am never not around. I am always with you. You know, it almost sounds like a guardian angel. And I wonder if some people's guardian angels are aliens. Now that you say this. I think that's a, a, an apt observation that she may be one of my, not newer guides, that's for sure, but one of my guides. And you know what? I had a discussion on a show, and, and we don't have to go down this road today, but um, where I, I delineated what I felt to be the difference in her, uh, who I sometimes refer to as my twin, my alien twin, between her and my, my guides. I'm, I'm not going to call them guardian angels. Uh, conceptually, it's a little bit different for me, but I'm going to call, call them my guides. I have two guides that I've identified um, who I believe used to be people. Uh, one is a woman, one is a man, and I, I, there's a real distinct thing that happens when I communicate to them. And generally, I can't finish my question before they answer it. It is the most peculiar thing. And I don't communicate them to them every day. Sometimes I'm having a great life, and sometimes it's a real crap life. And I'll reach out to them, and I can't even finish my question in my mind before they answer it. And so I've gotten used to this, and this to me is a sign I'm in touch with them. It's to me... That's the way that works with them. And that, to me, is one of the identifiers. I'm in touch with them. Uh, with her, it's, it's so nuanced as to make me crazy. And, and again, I think she's always working on me, you know, psychically to get me to do a better job. Even though I have some psychic ability, which I've had since a teen, it's, pro it's probably not good enough yet for her. Do you get your answers from your guides in a download? 
Like you just instantly know the answer. So uh, if I can flesh out my own understanding of downloads and answer your question, would that be okay? Sure. So as an abductee or an experiencer, I've gotten tons of downloads over the years. And and the reason I call them downloads, and, and this is not, you're right, it is a download. But the reason I call these downloads is because I am incapable of processing them when I get them. It's a package of concentrated information, tightly packed or programmed or coded. Yeah, let's call it coded. And usually when I get a download from, from an alien being, I'm just aware that I've got a download. That is all. Not I, I don't know the contents of it. So with my guides, uh, Jeff, normally it seems to me like real-time instant communication that I don't have to go unpack later. Kind of like unzipping a file. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I work with computers, so that works. Have you ever spoke to your guides about this being, and what do they say? Oh, gosh. You know what? Um, you're the first person that's ever asked me that question. I love that. <laughs> I'm going to say, no, I have not asked them. And I'm being real careful this very moment because they're looking down at me or looking at me right now. You, you're about to have a conversation with us, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna actually follow that up because I have not asked either about either. Because yeah, I feel pretty certain that they should know about the being. You know what I've always felt certain about is that there are differences with all these beings that we're in touch with, whether it's my uh, grandmother who's become one of my guides over the years. We never got along in life, so I don't know how this happened. Uh, but whether it's my grandmother, who's one of my guides, whether it's my so-called spirit guides, um, whether it's this alien being, or whether it's another entity that's trying to reach me, um, someone else deceased in my family, or somebody in the multiverse, someone in the omniverse, I think we're bombarded with information all the time. What I've tried to do, instead of ask one about the other, interestingly enough, is think, well, I go to my guides for this, and, and I go to this alien being for another thing, and I call upon another entity for something different. So I'm thinking, Jeff, based on what this great idea you're putting in mind, that there's, there's either cross-pollination or one set of beings knows about the other set. You just mentioned another being. Who is this being? I think that we are in touch with a, a multitude of things. For instance, I know some of my deceased family members are in touch with me. When my mom died years ago, she was in touch with all of her kids, but in different ways. Me, it was through dreams. One of my sisters, it was through vision. She literally saw a ghost-like figure of my mother. Another sister, she had her hair touched. Um, so I, I'm convinced, we're, you know, I'm in touch with a multitude of beings, including deities, depending on which belief system you belong to. I subscribe very strongly to the Egyptian pantheon of gods and goddesses, and I would be not the slightest bit surprised that I'm in touch with some of them as well. So you're still in contact with the alien being, right? Yes. How often does the contact happen, and is it usually through dreams? So it is usually through dreams. If I settle 
my mind enough if I become still is the word I would use. I, I do a lot of meditation. And over the last year or two, the word still has worked really well with me. I don't know why. Instead of relaxing my mind, I can still my mind. And that usually opens up a channel where I will sense her. But most communication is initiated by her. And I might get a bit of a download and think, you know, I'm looking up in the corner of the sky thinking, what was that? That's just coming out of nowhere. And then the other half of the time, she'll appear in a dream in the most innocuous and weird ways. Like I can give you an example. I, I went to a party. This is not something I do normally. I went to a house party and I went with a, a former partner. And we got to the partner, uh, sorry, we got to the home and there's pounding music and lots of drinks and fun. And I went over because I like to disappear into a corner. I don't like to be the center of attention. So I went over to a corner and I was hanging with a couple of friends. And I looked beside me and there's this eight foot tall friend. Hmm. And it's like, really? And I almost became lucid at that point. It's like, come on. And she just looked like a eight foot tall hippie or something. She appeared very human in this particular role. And so when I got up, I remembered the dream pretty clearly. I'm pretty good with dream recall and thought, thank you. Thanks for dropping by. <laughs> From what I've learned before, and to me, it makes sense that aliens don't just pop in once in your life and, you know, give you a message and disappear. They don't travel all that distance just for that. They're there for you, your entirety of your life. Mm -hmm. I've had a, a, an interesting roundabout verification of this. Uh, actually, I've had more than one. Um, and I've talked to other abductees, and they, they would say, absolutely. This, it's never a one-time thing, and it rarely begins when you're in your 30s or something, right? Uh, it begins when you're much younger. So one, one verification was to meet up with this alien being when I was a kid. Then after years of hypnosis, and, and Leslie and I worked together for five years, uh, and, and we did approximately 35 sessions. Uh, so I, I really dug deep. I just kept going back and back and back. Um, in one of those sessions, we did an intralife hypnosis session. Are you aware of those? Maybe somebody has talked about them. You mean like in-between lives? Yes. Okay. So the in-between lives or inner life, as they sometimes call it, um, in short version, you're regressed to beyond the point that you were born uh, to a former life, not the one just before this one, but maybe one before that. And then you, you play out your death. Mm -hmm. Two lifetimes ago, maybe. You play out your death. I was a soldier looking out a window of some farmhouse. And then you're, you're before you're reborn, just before this life, um, generally speaking, my understanding, and this is what happened to me, uh, without knowing what would happen, I was taken to a council. And there was whoever and what I was then speaking to a council that consisted of look to be people and some alien beings, almost like a small theater style meeting room. Um, and they were just making sure that I was good to go. 
and that I would at some point remember that I was already working with alien beings. And because I was so crazy curious over the years about the why me question, that I thought maybe I'll find an answer in an interlife session. Mm -hmm. And so it was pretty much confirmed because there were alien beings there that, you know, is this, it wasn't, I can't say an implant unless you say a spiritual or psychic implant. Is this going to work? Are you going to remember it at some point? And I was like, yeah, you know, I'm good to go. And, and then for me, Jeff, I, I went up to a fence that seemed to overlook a beautiful field in some farmyard. And I was looking at parental couples being coming in within my vision, one after another set of them. And at some point, I instinctively know, oops, hold on that one. The fourth or fifth set, that's the one for me, apparently, that will allow me to do what I need to do in this life that will help make it possible. And then I think my 80s experience was a huge wake-up call. And when Leslie and I went back to try and dig out more information, which we couldn't get a lot of information, this alien twin um, told me that was just a test. That was just a test to see if you're paying attention. <laughs> and, and we were observing you, and they observe you a lot uh, when they do these abductions. They love emotions, as far as I can tell. Bad emotions especially, but good or bad, they love watching that. They love observing that. So that was kind of a wake-up call like, oh. And it still took me another 20 years to say, I get it. I'm supposed to act on this. Is that right? I'm supposed to do something about this. I'm supposed to go get hypnotized. I'm supposed to write a book. I'm supposed to get involved with other abductees. I'm supposed to get involved with MUFON. I'm supposed to get the word out. So to me, quite honestly, it was that council session in the inner life and my own awareness finally kicking in that I said at last, I get it. What do you think is the point for you to get the word out? Why do they want you to do that? Um, I think, Jeff, there's a couple of pieces to this. One is that I think they've decided I can do it. They've decided that I was able to integrate my experiences and not blow up, not go off the deep end. Although, admittedly, it was real hard for me for a few years. Real hard. I was afraid to go to sleep at night. That's how hard it was. But I think they wanted to see, could I integrate it? Was I a, a half-decent communicator? Would I be able to stand in... Um, in, in essence, for one of them to be able to say, if anybody came, looked my way and said, can you tell me about my experience? Can you tell me what you think it means? That I would be able to identify it possibly and that they'd look at me and they'd see themselves in a mirror. And they'd say, wait a sec, there's something to this guy. I might have gone some, through something like he did. I'm not trying to spread the word to say, become an abductee. Absolutely not. This is 100% not for everyone. You know, don't try this at home, folks. Uh, you really don't want to go through some of this stuff because although largely positive in my life, Jeff, there were a handful of negative experiences that were terrifying. So I'm going to say no 
you don't want to be this person. But if you are this person, I'm here. I got a shoulder. I can counsel you to a certain extent. I can put you in touch with the right people. Um, if this is some form of mental illness, I can highly and strongly advise you to go see somebody about it. Uh, I feel good. I'm in a good position. And it's funny be because before this experience happened, I was taking training in communications um, at a university. I was taking training in broadcasting. I was moving into the teaching world. All these things, Jeff, have lent themselves well, to, I think, to my ability to get the word across. If someone approached you and said that they're having some of these experiences similar to yours, and they said, you know, I don't know if I have a mental illness or I'm really experiencing something. What are some of the signs that you've recognized that might be able to help you decide if someone's actually being visited? So I, I would preface that uh, my answer by saying, have you seen a professional yet? I, yeah. I really would. Um, and that could be a hypnotherapist, a psychologist, psychiatrist, social worker, um, because I'm not qualified, right? But um, in terms of what I recognize, there's certain commonalities uh, in abduction experiences, whether they're physical abductions or psychic or etheric abductions. And I, and I think there are all kinds of abductions. Um, there, there are a couple of creatures that occur uh, in, in quite a number across the spectrum across the world uh, of abductions. One of them is an owl. I can't explain it. Um, but th this is a little funny trigger thing for me. I have not seen these. Um, but I was talking to when I got comfortable and talked to my family about some of the stuff that went on out of the blue, a member of my family said, oh, she had this vision, not necessarily a dream of an owl, what she perceived to be an owl. And it's like, oh, interesting, because they often alter their appearance. Usually it's so they do not frighten us. Generally speaking, it's so they do not frighten us. Uh, uh, so an owl or a wolf periodically, but an owl definitely. Um, I would ask them or I would want to know if um, they woke up and it was, it was peculiar in any way. For instance, um, uh, did they wake, uh, wake up and have bruises on them, bruises that they cannot account for? They wake up and have little puncture marks on them that they cannot account for. Um, did, did they have, uh, this is uh, one of the commonalities that some of us get. Uh, periodically, I've woken up and I've had triangles on me. Most people get them on their hands. I don't. I had one on my chest, two of them. When I woke up one morning, I had one on my forehead once or twice. I, I don't understand the significance of the triangles, but it's one of the things that sh that you can look for. Um, did you wake up that morning uh, in your clothes, not in your clothes? Was that different from how you went to sleep? Mm. Um, did you wake up and did your partner say, well, I had a really odd experience. I, I couldn't move, but I heard voices, things like this. Because from my 1980s experience, my partner um, was catatonic. Um, the, the term we sometimes use is she was switched off. 
because she wasn't to interfere with this experience and wasn't a part of the experience. So she could hear. I don't think she could see anything, but she could hear, couldn't move, couldn't participate. Um, told me the next morning what was going on last night. Um, so those are those are a number of signs. Also, if you want to go through Wes's little formula, um, and you've you've researched the dreamscape, how dreams work. Mm -hmm. Have you researched how lucid dreams work? Have you researched out of the body experiences? Um, have you researched altered states of consciousness? Um, does your experience you're telling me about fit into any of those that you can tell? So it's very Sherlock Holmes-like. I don't just jump on the bandwagon and say, that weird thing last night was an abduction. Because I have a, 10 dream journals full of things that are not abductions. You know, So I don't just jump on the bandwagon. I always ask myself, is, does it fit anywhere else? Even imagination, daydreaming, um, you know, uh, any any drugs or booze involved? No, no, no. <laughs> you know, so it didn't come from any of that. When the only thing that's left seems to be an abduction, it's possible it's an abduction. Can you share with us some of the most surprising things that you discovered during your hypnotherapy sessions? Mm-hmm. Um, one of them was the... One of them was an exploration of, and I really didn't get a good answer for it because they're not always forthcoming. Why three, four times maybe I've been taken to see children, uh, not necessarily human children. Um, sometimes the child in question is, according to our view of a child, not formed well. Little body, huge head, um, or a little round, little round body, and a little tiny head, or eyes that are a little normal, uh, abnormal, larger than normal, um, or are so perfectly formed it seems impossible. One of the uh, one of my experiences, I was taken to see two little blonde girls, and I was, and, and there was apparently in the room with me, and I can't say if it was a prop or the real deal, their mother was there. Um, but she was switched off. She was just standing there, vacant. And I was simply taken there to say, well, here you are, here's your little family, and here's these two perfectly little twin blonde girls. And uh, they, it was, I was made to understand they were my little girls. And then they just scampered away. And same, something very similar happened, one or two other experiences. All this to me was totally surprising. I don't have kids. I, um, Leslie and I talk about parenting all the time. And she says, well, your students are your kids. Mm -hmm. And I say, okay, I've had 15,000 kids, <laughs> you know, over decades. But uh, so one of the more surprising things to me is it seems then I had some very dark negative experiences connected with this, which I've never fully revealed to anyone, quite honestly. And they were, um, they're connected to the taking of sperm. I have to be right out there with it. Uh, it may sound like, oh, how much fun. 
You know, <laughs> you you get to have intercourse with an alien. Nope, not fun. Not fun at all. It's a 100% ruse um, designed to get what they want. And so I had those darker experiences years, years after I was taken to meet children. So those are two of the most uh, amazing things to me is, is this whole thing, are these my kids, are they hybrid? If they're hybrid, are they here? And my limited understanding about this, somebody like Barbara Lamb would be a lot better with this. Um, I think she's the one that wrote a book and met several hybrids and interviewed them. Um, my limited understanding is that they're not going to be here uh, with the human race unless they're really astoundingly a lot like us, that they would simply pass for us easily. Nothing too unusual. Do you feel that originally you're from another planet and a few lifetimes ago or so you decided to come here? So that that's a question that I've speculated on a lot. Um, I'll say to folks quite with a straight face, quite plainly, I'm not from here, but I don't know what it means. And um, I think, uh, you know, I, I go with the seeded theory, if there's such a thing, and I think there is, that we were seeded by alien life forms like the Anunnaki, for instance, but we were seeded um, because approximately 12,000 years ago, a switch was thrown. You know, our evolution is hundreds of thousands or potentially millions of years old, but 12,000 years ago, 13,000 years ago, a switch was thrown and suddenly we're intelligent beings or somewhat intelligent beings who are developing intellectually. It's incredible. So I don't know if that was me, um, uh, but I just, uh, I don't identify this place as home, and I never have. Have you ever considered getting hypnotherapy to see that you lived on other planets? I have considered it. Um, the initial thrust of um, my 30 or so sessions, 30 plus sessions, was all just to dwell on who these things are and why they're involved with me and how I got their attention and what can I do about it. I've never done that. And I bet Leslie would love to do that with me. <laughs> I'll have to mention it to her. Then I'll be back in the chair. <laughs> so when you woke up in, with these markings, were they kind of like scratches or what? The triangles especially. And how long did it take for them to go away? So the ones that were on my chest were like scratches, but they they were hot to the touch. They were just two interlocking triangles, and they were hot to the touch. I, I was wearing a T-shirt to bed, and so I got up in the morning. I thought, there's something going on up here, right? And I whip off the T-shirt, and there's these two little red triangles, well, an inch and a half each maybe, uh, interlocked uh, on my chest. And I thought, what the heck is that? Um, I grabbed a picture of it, which was so low resolution. We're talking about not the camera I have today. Uh, that's all. Uh, but I, I have a picture of them kicking around somewhere. Um, a day or two. They went away in a day or two. Same thing as one or two that appeared up here on my forehead. Little tiny triangle went away in a day or two. And, and it's interesting, Jeff, I just might add that most people, the triangles they see are formed with puncture marks. 
little tiny puncture marks that form a triangle. I have not seen that on myself. Have you seen bruises? Yes, but rarely on me. Periodically, I'll wake up and think, okay, this is a huge bruise on my thigh. How did I get this? And then it's like, you know, I try and think it through and I'll assign it to anything else but that. You know, I must have bumped my leg into something. Uh, Maybe uh, 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 my partner, boom, flopped her arm over on me or something. So I've never assigned it to this cause. I have a good friend who periodically, I mean, with some regularity, was waking up every other night with bruises and puncture marks. Um, I don't know if she was ever examined by a medical person. Uh, And she used to send me photos of them. And it's like, what the heck? You know, she lives alone. So it's like, what the heck is this? Leslie's impression is that those are indeed puncture marks. Implying, but I'm just... I don't know, I'm not her, that something was put in or taken out. Have you ever noticed that electronics go haywire around you? Gosh, yes. Nobody's asked me that question. It is crazy some days. Hmm. Whether it's my phone or a computer. And the funny thing is, right, I teach technology. I'm pretty good. I'm adept. Um, I can get through a lot of problems, not hardware problems. I'm a software guy, but I can troubleshoot almost anything. And I'm a real bulldog about it. I'll spend days if I have to. But I'll have days when it's just, okay, uh, an interview like this, it just stops. And yet I'm using a six-month-old laptop, a brand-new computer with lots of power. And we have high bandwidth, stable bandwidth. Or I'll notice that the computer doesn't start again, and I just get a black screen. And then a couple hours later, it'll start. And I notice the same thing with my phone. I'll go to touch something. And my my finger will be an inch away, and it will press it an inch away. Or things will just turn on or turn off, or the phone will call somebody by itself. And it's like, you know, my partner will just say, give it up. You know, give it up for now. Well, you know, it's interesting. The reason that I asked is because while you were describing the triangle marks, you were freezing. Your audio was coming in clear, but your video was freezing. Oh, I didn't see that in the little image I'm looking at. I didn't see yeah. it. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously it can be just, you know, an interruption in the in the internet somewhere, but I just kind of thought, hmm, it's interesting that, you know, he's talking about this and why is he freezing now? You know, I've had conversations with other hosts before and the show's gone down three times. I mean, they just lost me completely. And I I know enough to shut down other applications. Like, I know what you got to do, right? And to just limit it to one computer and to uh, focus the bandwidth and turn off my external monitors. Like, I know the drill. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's interesting to me. I've only had one other guest that he claimed to channel an alien. He was in Peru. As we sat and talked... Everything was fine. And I said, okay, I'm going to start now and start. And, I, and then he would kind of go into a trance to, or whatever to, to be able to channel the alien. And then mm-hmm. the computer would just, our internet connection would totally freeze. And then I would just finally just say, okay, uh, let's start over. And I did that about three or four times. And after I would stop recording, it would go back to normal. As soon as I hit record and he'd go into his trance, everything would freeze. And finally, I just gave up. I said, it's, it's not happening today. So maybe there was some sort of interference. I'd say uh, maybe four or more shows, something 
unexpected has happened. Um, and we can't pinpoint if it's on one person's end, if it's on my end. I, I will always take the blame. It's got to be me uh, without knowing. Uh, but in one of the last shows I did, I work with several monitors. So the monitor I'm looking at now was black. I couldn't see a thing. And on the other monitor off to the right, the host was talking to me. It was entertaining to get through it for me. But I just focused as if, okay, this is where I'm supposed to look, where the little light for the camera is. What do you think about all the disclosure recently of aliens? I am, um, so I don't, in a de facto way, I, I might be said to be involved in the periphery of that. It's not my uh, large interest. Um, but I think we are being consciously, deliberately drip-fed information a little bit at a time because we poor people cannot deal with the facts. I disagree with that quite honestly. So the release of Air Force footage and the disclosure conferences, which are pretty cool. I've not been to one. But, you know, Stephen Greer and other folks are involved in the, the disclosure movement in a big way, uh, ex-military people, government people. One of our former uh, deputy prime ministers here in Canada was involved in a very large way in the disclosure movement. Um, I'm all for it. I honestly do not think we're going to run around and panic if we know more. So I think it's like a drip feed, which I, I, I just resent that. But that's all. Has she ever given you any indication when there will be full disclosure? No. No, I've never gotten in any indication of it. It could be just that's my issue, that I won't commit to it formally or more consciously. It could be my on me. Um, and actually, uh, we've never asked her. I, I certainly have not asked her. Do you think that there are alien beings walking around the planet now and we just don't recognize them? A hundred percent. I think we have hybrids here now or perhaps pure alien. And I've talked to other people that feel the same. And there's two, two clubs. One club is we're being taken over as a species. I don't buy into that. I do not feel threatened by any of this. The other club is, yes, they're among us as teachers and friends and colleagues. And if they can successfully do that, probably more of it will happen. I don't, I don't know what the, the end game is uh, for that, but I've spoken to people and heard people and read people who have had direct exposure to hybrids, as far as they could tell, direct exposure. You know, nothing bad happened, but there were certainly evident physical signs that these folks were not totally from here. What do you see in play for your future? Um, you know, I've been driven to, I would have to say, uh, put more work into my website. And I'm not trying to plug my website at all. Uh, I've been driven to put more work into the site. I've been driven to work with people that would get me great interviews. Um, I've been driven to ask, along with my friend Leslie, are there in-person appearances? I feel the need to be at them. So uh, I'm not sure I have another book in me. Uh, you know, um, my partner is a writer as well. And she'll always say, well, write your next book. It's like, no, 
<laughs> I don't want to write another book. Uh, but I've been driven recently to to get to get the word out and and to and I think this actually helps me, Jeff, because the more interviews I do, I think the more frank and open I am with them. I'm going to say, you know, two, three years ago, several years ago, I might not have been articulate or as articulate if I am indeed that way. But um, I'm feeling now that there, there's something emerging, like I'm on a precipice. Be because I work with magic as well, I understand that from a magical standpoint. If you sense you're on a precipice and, and you're indeed moving towards something, you do not have to know what it is you're moving toward. And, and I'm okay with that. That's where I sense I am now. I don't want to speculate, but you've had at least a handful of partners. How do yes. the different partners deal with this? So if I go back uh, to the ACE experience, um, she was cool with interesting experiences. In fact, they all have been. But So she was cool with interesting experiences. She was interested in magic and the paranormal. That might be one of the things that brought us together. Unfortunately for her, I had two key experiences where she was switched off. Um, she didn't even have a problem with that. You know, we talked about it years later, and she remembers more of an experience I had than I do. We couldn't even recover it under hypnosis. Uh, there was a second one around the same time as the 80s one. So she was, she was pretty cool and good with it. Um, my next partner, who is my ex now, um, was also, uh, she was really down to earth, really fascinated by things paranormal, by near-death experiences. It seems I'm always attracted to partners like this, and they're attracted to me. Uh, she's very calm about the whole thing. She, um, she would say that she wasn't involved in it or with it. She respected the fact that I felt I had to pursue it but she would say she wasn't involved in any of it. Then I told her only recently, last year, because we're still in touch. Well, it just so happens you're in about eight of my experiences. <laughs> and she's like, uh, you know. So if she was part of them, she is unaware of that. And if she wasn't, it was a prop. But it seemed a heck of a lot like her in two or three of them. <laughs> my current partner has a pretty interesting uh, magical and occult background um, and may have also had abduction experiences. Uh, so she's fully aware of what I'm involved in and she's good with it. I'm assuming that your employer had no idea about any of this until you published your books. Have you had and any? still may not. And still may <laughs> not. Uh, so you don't, you don't advertise and they, and you just are unaware if they know or not. I'm unaware, and you know what? Um, quite frankly, this is a hard question for me to tackle. I started to try and tackle this question over 10 years ago. Um, I'd have conversations with my ex saying, I'm just going to go tell them. Now, I'm a contract employee, so they, they wouldn't have to have an excuse. They could just not renew my contract. So she said, why? They don't have a need to know or a right to know. Some of them might be authors of science fiction novels. Some of them might appear in plays or in films. You know, some of them might be 
off doing Wicca. Who knows what they're doing? So her opinion was like, don't bother. And so it took me quite a while to say, okay, there's no particular reason I should offer up the info. It's not relevant to what I do. Mm -hmm. um, even though it's dramatic, maybe, um, and they may not approve of it. <laughs> and they might wonder, wait a sec, you're dealing with college students. Are you, you know, is there any contamination? Zero. You know, my professional life is just that. I would never compromise it. So I appreciate your question, but it's it's not come up. All right, you have two books out. One is called Intersections, A True Story of Extraterrestrial Contact, and the other one is called An Experiencer's Garden. Do we find them on your website, on Amazon, or both? On both, actually. So they're both available, Amazon.com or .ca, and you can also find links for them on my site. After watching this podcast, people may want to reach out to you and ask you questions. Are you open to that? And if so, how should they reach you? I'm 100% open. Sometimes I actually wish more folks uh, would reach out, but sometimes they have a problem reaching out. So I want to say if, if you have a question for me, you want to take the first step, you know, I can help you take the first step. I can give you some advice. So it's just Wes at WesGRoberts.com. Wes, before we finish up, can you leave us with one last positive message? Yes, I can. I have almost zero fear about the alien question or about alien involvement with people. There are bad apples that seem few and far between. So some of the races or species uh, may have ulterior motives. But largely, over 90% of my experiences have been positive and have broadened my horizons. All right, Wes, thank you so much for your message. And thank you again for being my guest. I really appreciate you. And I wish you success in whatever you're doing. Jeff, thank you so much for letting me blabber on. And I love how your questions led to every good discussion here. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.